take your Bibles tonight, turn to Luke chapter 12. I'll be there in just a few moments, Luke chapter 12. I mentioned this morning that I will be in a short series on Luke 15 on the prodigal son and uh, was looking for a thought that could be connected in a way on the idea of prodigal, again, primarily having the idea of wasteful and not, not living our life the way God intended. And, uh, and of course, those who've been here for any time know that Luke chapter 12 is a favorite text of mine, so we're going to read that tonight. So go ahead and stand with me. We'll, we'll get right to it this evening. Tell the message is less can be more. Start our reading in verse number 13 of that 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Now that runs completely countercultural to America's materialism. But this has forever been true. A man's life is made up more than stuff. And he spake a parable, of course, to illustrate that truth he just articulated unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. These next verses talk about um, God's ability to take care of us. Uh, he cares for the sparrow. Uh, he, he can take care of a flower. And then verse 31, he says, But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, because all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then these instructions. Sell that you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches nor moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, the illumination of God's Word. We would ask for that tonight. Lord, a simple story, Lord, to convey to us that life um, and its purpose and meaning, Lord, is something that we sometimes struggle to find. And Lord, I pray that this evening where materialism and the pursuit of the things of the world substitute for being rich towards you and others, that, Lord, we would make correction this evening. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> I want to tell you a story tonight. Once upon a time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there lived a busy and very important man. He routinely, routinely worked 10 to 14 hours a day, and sometimes he worked on weekends. He continued his education. He joined professional organizations, 
and served as the board of directors or on the board of directors of numerous organizations. Some would even be nonprofit. He read books um, on his profession. He listened to podcasts on how to be better at what he was already good at. Even in his free time, his mind often drifted towards his work. He found working 40 hours a week such a good idea that he often would do that twice in a week. His wife tried to slow him down. His kids often quietly pleaded for his time. A family that was once close now were beginning as the kids grew older to drift apart. His kids were growing up. He intended one day to spend more time with them. He just couldn't seem to make it happen. He thought, just six more months and I will have time and I'll be in a better place. And he solaced himself with those necessary thoughts that he was doing all that he could. And by the way, all I'm doing is for them anyway, provide them a better life. In time, his pace and tempo took its toll on his body. And in time, his blood pressure began to rise as well as his cholesterol. He knew his life was out of balance. He failed to attend church as he should. But after all, Sundays were off the only morning in time that he thought he had to rest. One day, his boss told him a big contract had just come in, and which is a little extra effort to what he was already giving. Both the company and he would be set for life. This was the opportunity of a lifetime, he told himself. So he gave himself the task. He just failed to give himself to anything else. As the important man feverishly worked, giving himself to every little detail that would provide him with wealth and a lifetime of security, he managed every detail perfectly except one. There was a singular microscopic detail that went unnoticed. An artery that had once been subtle as a blade of grass had become over time dry as plaster. His blood cells could barely squeeze through uh, his arteries and every day while the man gave himself to his work, a few more lipids joined to the plaque already in his arteries put a greater and greater strain upon the man's heart. Every neglect of diet, every angry word, every stress-filled moment, every irritation, every abandonment to the work he was doing had quietly and officially done its deadly work. For 50 years, his heart had pumped 70 milliliters of blood with every contraction. 14,000 pints, if you were measuring the sum of it in a day. Now suddenly, just before the man's financial boat was about to come ashore, his heart skipped a beat. And then it skipped a second. And then a third, and the man grasped his chest, and something came with blinding clarity to him that escaped him for decades. Clarity. The man who was just about to have it all realized, as a matter of fact, he had nothing at all. He accomplished nothing with the sum of his life. 
the face of his wife and his children and his church flashed in his mind. Then everything was over. His death made the newspapers. People talked about him. They said he was an incredible uh, businessman. He was a hard worker. Someone mused to another um, how much he loved his work. Another person asked, why, you know, I wonder how much he left behind. (laughs) And the obvious answer is this. He left it all. He was eloquently eulogized. People talked of his accomplishments. He was a man of principles. And after all the accolades, they lay him in the ground and they put up a stone and the words success were inscribed upon them. In time, the crowds and family went home. The man in the grave was finally alone. Then quietly and silently, God sent his angel to the place where the man lay. And with the authority and power of God, he took his finger and traced in invisible letters upon the tombstone, a word that summarized God's estimation of the man and his life. Fool. Fool. For the man gave himself to that which mattered least and not most, and he failed to ever understand what life was about. So before the angel ascended back into heaven, he paused and asked the dead man a question to which he offered no reply. He made a statement, your soul has been required of you, and who shall these things be? The story, of course, is much like the biblical story told in Luke chapter 12, 2,000 years ago with contemporary um, you know, color added. This story could be retold and has been retold thousands, perhaps ten thousands or more of times. Not just for rich men, but ambitious men, powerful men, popular men, um, poor men, and men who have just fiddled their life away doing nothing meaningful. The description could fit anyone and everyone who thought life was about accumulation, materialism, tangible things. God's harsh words are reserved for all of those who live life where a devotion to God and setting up eternal treasures in heaven is avoided. God makes it clear in telling the story he told and mine mimicking it, that the objective of life and its game is not just to get stuff. It's not about getting. Life is about giving. And in giving to God, you will not only get everything that you need, but you will find riches you can never have purchased by money alone. Um, The text asks us to consider giving for a greater reward. To give love, to give life, to give time, to give service, to obtain true riches in this life and the one to come. 
I have a question. I've posed this question to this congregation numbers of times before. I like the question. It makes sense in my mind. And the question is this, is would you be willing to live on less if you had something more to live for? Let me rephrase it. Would you be willing to live on less if you discovered something greater that you could give to? Monopoly. How many people have played Monopoly? Okay, most of us. If you've ever played the game, um, you know, we all at least know what the game is. Um, not just Americans, but the world over, Monopoly is one of the most popular games of all time. Monopoly has been the best-selling game um, for decades. And if you've never played it, it's, it's actually a lot of fun, especially if you play with your, your, your family. And it's a game of competition, really more a game of chance. Um, but there is something about the game that thinking people should take note of. Its purpose almost exactly mirrors the objective of our culture to accumulate. Not experiences, but stuff. Um, you get all you can, and the one who gets most wins. Victory and success is tied with getting not giving. Now granted it's only a game, uh, but sadly it's a game that sometimes real people, you know, play in real life. America is a consumer nation. I could go off on that, you know, I, I won't. It's all we know as a people. Sales, marketing, getting, having um, is what life is about. Uh, we accumulate more of what we already have enough of. Um, the good life is about stuff. The more you have, well, the better you are playing the game. So it, it runs a little contrary to our nature, maybe even offends a little bit, when someone suggests to us that we should play the game a different way. Um, that there's another set of rules, that the priority and purpose of life is to give, not just accumulate. And that through that giving and through that uh, activity, you can obtain a greater life, a better life than stuff can bring you. Well, that is what God is telling us his life is about, is being rich to him, his purposes, his causes, his priority. Uh, that is in large measure people and the people in your own, under your own roof, people here in this church, people outside the walls who live across the street. God is calling us to be rich towards God, to people, our family, and others. And, and the instruction of the last verse that I read is to sell that you have and to make treasures that will last past the day that you lay in the grave. I want to ask this fundamental question, one that sort of mirrors the text, is, you know, I think that all of us need to do business with, and is, is, is would you? Would you live on less, or would you rearrange your life and how you spend it if you actually found something that was better than what you're spending your life and time on right now? Would you willingly subtract from what you have to gain something better? And I hope the answer for many of us would be yes. Let me give you some examples. Would you live on less 
um, if you could give to improve other people's lives? Could you maybe live in a little less comfort if you gained more adventure and a fulfilling lifestyle? Uh, could you lose and give up some calories if you stood in better health? Would you give up stuff for real treasure, less TV for family time, um, less tangible stuff, maybe to have a more spiritual life? You know, that's what fasting is sort of about. For a person to be willing to live on less, uh, to gain something more, it's going to require something of all of us. And I actually have a long list, but for sake of time, I'll, I'll give you two. The first thing that's going to re be required for us to make the exchange and trade that the barn builder failed to make, and that so many of us failed to make in other areas of life, is it's going to require a change of perspective or, or how we see things. Um, you, you know, Jesus was always trying to allude to this, that we need to have better vision. He, he asked the question this way, what good is it to gain the whole world and to lose your, what, soul? It's not an equitable trade. But the thing is, you have to back up and have a different perspective to see the wisdom in that trade. If you live in the immediate, if you live, if you live you know, just for satisfaction, it's going to be hard to have a perspective change. You have to change that. Um, and, and every once in a while we, we, we get a, a great example who, who has that uh, perspective. There was a man named Tom, I think it's um, Manahan. I mean, I have that right. Um, my writing's poor. And at one time the man, uh, he, he was one of the richest men in America. You, you'll know him maybe. He owned a professional baseball team um, many, many companies, but he's most famous for Domino's Pizza. So whatever that guy's name is, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. And at one time, he had a 60% share of the pizza market in America. Can you imagine? That's a lot of pizza. That's a lot of money. His wealth was staggering. Um, of course, there are contemporary guys who make more money in our world today. Um, and to his, as a commentary that he made about himself, and at one time in my life, I was one of the most prideful, selfish men that I had ever met. That wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He was reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and the Lord used it to save his soul and change his perspective about life. And so he wrote at one time about a newly stated goal he has, and he said this, I am going to heaven and I want to take as many people with me as possible. Amen. That's a good perspective. <laughs> to do so, he took a millionaire's vow of poverty, and he gave away 90% of his money. He started a Bible college, and he was philanthropic in a lot of other ways. See, his perspective of life changed, and he was willing to live on much less for what he perceived as a far greater eternal and rewarding treasure, he became rich toward God and people. To be generous rich toward God requires a new perspective. Um, and it's no secret I don't like flying. Have I ever said that before? I just don't know if I've ever said that. Tomorrow morning, 
earlier than I want, I'm going to get on an airplane. Uh, and you know, I'm going to fly to Colorado. Um, yes, all, those who've flown and looked out the window, okay, the view of the window changes with about every 10,000 feet, right? So things that loom large at ground level look pretty insignificant at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 feet. You know, and I could, man, my brain runs with things I could preach about with that, you know. Um, how perspective change with altitude. Um, and the closer you get to God, you know, you, you can have different perspective about a lot of things. And life is like that. When you and I stop living in the immediate world, and maybe, maybe we can't go to 50,000 feet to see what life's about, but maybe if we were to read Luke 12 with an open heart and open mind, maybe we could change our perspective. Biblical writers tried desperately to do this for us. In the book of James, he, he writes to us, chapter 5, and he, he pronounces this condemnation upon these rich people who have lived their whole life for the accumulation of things. And, and, and he says, you know, don't you know that all that's going to rust? It's going to rot? In those days, things were even more material than today. We, we put materialism on a card. You know, they had it in treasure and things. And it's going to rot. It's going to be no good. And, and what, what is it really about? What, what, what's James about? It's about perspective. We, life continues beyond... 50, 60, 70 years. There is life and there is eternal life. But we struggle to get that larger perspective. Matthew chapter 13, another parable, uh, verses 44 and 46. This is about the man who found the pearl of great price. This man has a home, he has treasure, he has a lifetime of accumulations. He goes to a field, there's a, there's a pearl of great price. In discovering something of greater value, suddenly his perspective changed and he goes home and he sells all he has. What was valuable to him yesterday with the new perspective is now not nearly as important. And he goes and he buys the pearl of great price. He discovered something more important. His perspective changed. The perception of the value of what he once had in comparison to a greater reward. And see, that's what the man, he was, he was all wrong in my story. He thought the true treasure was the dollars. And, and this isn't a sermon against making money. But, but with the, if you could have just lived a little bit, the true treasure was living under his roof. They were called wife and children. It's called friends. It was memories. It was being doing something fun and adventurous. It was serving God. It was winning others to Christ. Um, it was finding something to do in the church he was a part of to be a help. In the Christian life, there is wisdom and understanding that sometimes downsizing is a way to upgrade. You know, and I mean that practically, and, and sometimes that's true in, in a thousand areas of our life. I can't do everything. 
man, life offers me a thousand choices of things to do. I mean, I, sometimes I'm amazed at all the creative ways that people choose to have fun. It's, it's crazy. It's not wrong. It's just amazing. But you can't do them all. You have to decide. I get a paycheck. It goes to my bank account. It's finite. Um, in other words, I, I just can't keep spending. I have to make choices about where those dollars go. And, and so there is some wisdom that God is trying to speak to us, is that if you're not careful, we're going to spend our whole life doing what the world tells us is important. We're going to be searching for success in all the wrong places, climbing ladders, resting against the wrong wall. And we're going to ignore making any differences, you know, in life. Touching people beyond the, the immediate border. And even sometimes those immediately connected to us. Sometimes we have to trade one thing for another thing. And God pleads with us to consider what is most important in life. It is cliche. We've heard it a hundred times. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that is treasure in heaven. That is a happy family. That is joy with, with your wife. It is friends in the church. It is making difference in your community. Jesus is telling us there is wisdom and joy and eternal benefit and treasure in heaven when we make right choices about the use of money, the use of our time, the use of our talents, and the use of our life. You know, th this is, I think, we, we see it all around us. There's times um, in different nations, in, in our own history, when people were asked to make a sacrifice for a better good, right? And they go to war. There, there are people, and some, and some of these, you, you're willing to sacrifice some of your time and maybe it's all you have to start a business and or a company. And you can't have this without the sacrifice here. Um, there are people who subtract their lives to accomplish some goal. I used to do this and live this way, but now I want to do this and this instead. And you ha there's got to be a give. And the Bible asks us to do it for God, to make that subtraction. For something greater. Um, you have to change your perspective. And then you have to believe the promise. Look at me in verse 29 again real quickly. It says, And seek not ye that have what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. He can be saying, you know, stop asking for more what you already have enough of. For all these things the nation of the world seek after, and your father knoweth that you have needed these things. But here's the priority. Here, here's, here's what we need to downsize. Or this. Here's what we need to find time in our schedules to do. Investing and seeking after the kingdom of God. There's a thousand ways to do that. You, you do that in your giving here, but not just your dollars, but your time, your service, your heart, your help. You do this for the people in your community, our community, but seek you rather the kingdom of God. And, and if you're working hard and you're, and you're doing what you should, the necessities of life will be, will be met. God's not a debtor. He'll take care of you. 
And, and, and I love God because God always just understands us. And, he goes, and we go, well, that's going to be scary. And God says, don't be afraid. That's what faith's about. To step out in places that naturally would be scary. And he'll meet us there. He will take care of us. He does it for flowers. He does it for the sparrows. And he will do it for us. When we subtract, God gives. When we give, we reap. When we sow, then there's a harvest. God promises over and over to take care of us. He is able. You know, I, I think, um, you know, we're a little past the first of the year, but I love the question. I mean, this, for all things this barn builder did wrong, he asked a brilliant question. What am I going to do? Try to look at your paycheck. What am I going to do? I got the day ahead of me. What am I going to do? I'm 60 years old. What am I going to do? I have these resources. What shall I do? I have these connections. These people I know. What shall I do? I have the talents that I have. What am I going to do? Um, God's mercies are new every morning, but you only have one life. There's probably some wisdom in asking yourself, what am I going to do with it? And so, Lord, help us to have the wisdom uh, to make a better choice than the barn builder. Let me ask you to stand tonight, if you would.